welcome to the very first episode of Citizen Hope. I'm your host, Jess, and I am brand new to podcasting, um, so you're coming on a little adventure with me. Um, I felt really called to do a show like this because I think we as a society consume a lot of information about the worst of humanity. And listen, I love my true crime podcasts. Um, I'm a murderino. If there's any murderinos out there, what's up? SSDGM. Um, But on this podcast, I want to focus on stories that remind us of the good that exists out there. Um, And we can do so much good. Our capacity for love, hope, and kindness, our dogged perseverance, it doesn't get shared nearly as much as all the bad stuff. And what's funny about that is our daily good acts, no matter how small, far outweigh the bad ones. So if you're feeling a bit hopeless right now, if current events kind of have you feeling humanity might be doomed, I hope these stories change your perspective. Today, I'm going to talk about a truly courageous and inspiring woman whose given name was Isabella Bomfrey, but you might know her by the name she chose for herself, Sojourner Truth. Her story teaches us that despite our circumstances, we can rise up and make an impact and maybe even influence the course of history. Sojourner Truth was born into slavery in 1797. Although she began her life as an enslaved person and she never learned how to read or write, she became one of the most powerful human rights advocates in the 19th century. Truth was one of possibly 12 children born to James and Elizabeth Bomfrey. Because records of enslaved people's births weren't kept back then, it's hard to know for sure how many children they had. Her father, James, was an enslaved person captured in what we now call Ghana. Her mother, Elizabeth, also known as Mama Bet, was the daughter of enslaved people from Guinea. A Dutch colonel by the name of Charles Hardenberg bought James and Elizabeth from slave traders and kept their family at his estate in the town of Esopus, New York, which is about 95 miles north of New York City. For the majority of Truth's childhood, she only spoke Dutch. When Hardenberg died in 1806, Nine-year-old Truth was bought and sold twice. She endured daily beatings and I would imagine all manner of abuse at the hands of her owners, but she finally came to reside on the property of John Dumont, who lived in West Park, New York. It was during these years with Dumont that Truth learned to speak English. Around 1815, at 18 years old, Truth met and fell in love with an enslaved man named Robert from a neighboring farm. Robert's owner forbade their relationship. He didn't want the people that he was enslaving to have children with people that he wasn't enslaving because then he would have no claim to their children. But Robert and Truth loved each other, and one day Robert sneaked over to see Truth, and for that offense, he was savagely beaten. Truth never saw Robert after that day, and he apparently died a few years later. The whole experience haunted Truth throughout her life. John Dumont then forced Truth to marry an older enslaved man named Thomas. With Thomas, she had three children, Peter, born in 1821, Elizabeth, born in 1825, and Sophia, born in 1826. Prior to marrying Thomas, Truth had two other children, James, her firstborn, who sadly died in childhood, and Diana, who was born in 1815, was the result of a rape by John Dumont. Now, 
1799, which is just two years after Truth was born, the state of New York had begun to legislate the abolition of slavery. But the process of freeing all of the enslaved people in New York was not complete until July 4th, 1827. That's 28 years later. Dumont had promised to grant Truth her freedom a year before the state emancipation if she, quote, would do well and be faithful. However, when the time came to keep his word, he changed his mind, and Truth was infuriated. So late in 1826, Truth escaped to freedom with her infant daughter, Sophia. She had to leave her other children behind, which I'm sure was an incredibly tough decision, but they were not legally freed by the Emancipation Order until they had served as bound servants into their 20s. Truth later said about this decision, I did not run off, for I thought that wicked, but I walked off, believing that to be all right. She found her way to the home of Isaac and Maria von Wagenen, who took her and her baby in. Isaac then offered to buy her services for the remainder of the year, and Dumont accepted the agreement. So she lived with the Van Wagenens until the New York State Emancipation Act was approved a year later. At that point, Truth learned that her son, Peter, who at the time was only five years old, had been sold illegally by Dumont to an owner in Alabama. With the help of the Von Wagenens, she took the issue to court, and in 1828, after months of legal proceedings, she got her son back. With this, Truth became the first Black woman to go to court against a white man and win the case, and this wouldn't be her only win. Now, Truth's early years of freedom did have their hardships. She converted to Christianity and moved with her son, Peter, to New York in 1829. She worked as a housekeeper for a Christian evangelist named Elijah Pearson. By the early 1830s, she had participated in many of the religious revivals that were sweeping the state, and she became known as a very charismatic speaker. She then moved on to the home of Robert Matthews, and Matthews was also known as Prophet Matthias, He had a growing reputation as a con man and a cult leader. And shortly after Truth changed households, Elijah Pearson died. Robert Matthews was accused of poisoning Pearson in order to benefit from his personal fortune. A couple members of Prophet Matthias's cult named the Folgers attempted to implicate Truth in the murder of Pearson. The court case against Matthews was inadequate, and he ended up being acquitted of the crime. But in 1835, Truth brought a slander suit against the Folgers and won that court case. At this point, Truth is the first Black woman in history to win two court cases against white defendants. Now, sadly, that achievement would be vastly overshadowed by a tragedy that occurred a few years later. In 1839, her son, Peter, took a job on a whaling ship called the Zone of Nantucket. Truth received three letters from her son between 1840 and 1841. But when the ship returned to port in 1842, Peter was not on board, and Truth never heard from him again. A year after the loss of her son, she declared that the Spirit had called upon her to preach the truth— And it was at that point that she renamed herself Sojourner Truth. As an itinerant preacher, Truth's network began to expand, and she met abolitionists like William Lloyd Garrison and Frederick Douglass. 
She met women's rights activists like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, as well as temperance advocates. And the temperance movement was against the consumption of alcohol. And while Truth agreed with and championed all of these causes, she had her issues with some of these leaders. She was especially concerned at the time that some civil rights advocates, such as Douglas, did not take women's rights as seriously as Black men's rights. Regarding Anthony and Stanton, Truth took issue with Stanton's threat that she would not support the Black vote if women were denied it. Truth's stance was one of intersectionality of these two issues. She believed that the fight for abolition and the fight for women's rights were one and the same. She believed that women can change the world and that her Blackness did not make her unworthy of women's rights. Although she never learned to read or write, in 1850, she dictated her autobiography called The Narrative of Sojourner Truth to Olive Gilbert, who assisted in its publication. Truth survived on these book sales, but it also brought her national recognition. And in 1851, Truth was invited on a lecture tour that included the first women's rights conference in Akron, Ohio. This is where she delivered her famous Ain't I a Woman speech. In that speech, she challenged the ideas of racial and gender inferiority and inequality by reminding listeners of her personal strength, emotionally, physically, all of her capabilities, and the fact that she was, in fact, a woman. Now, there are two versions of Truth's speech, and there's a little bit of controversy about this. The first was published by Marius Robinson, a journalist who was in the audience at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. In this version of the speech, Truth never utters the phrase, ain't I a woman? The second and more famous version was written by Francis Gage 12 years later and published in 1863. It's in this speech that the phrase, ain't I a woman, appears multiple times. Now, Mary S. Robinson and Sojourner Truth were actually good friends, and it's documented that they went over his transcription of her speech before he published it. So we can assume his version of the speech is the one to which Truth would prefer to be associated. If you're interested in reading both versions, and you can really see the differences between them, you can find them both at the SojournerTruthProject.com. From 1851, to 1871, Sojourner Truth continued lecturing, but that wasn't her only work. During the Civil War, Truth helped recruit Black troops for the Union Army. She was also employed by the National Freedmen's Relief Association, and she worked to improve conditions for African Americans. And it was this Civil War work that earned her an invitation to meet one of her heroes, President Abraham Lincoln, in 1864. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite the experience she might have been hoping for. A friend named Lucy Coleman accompanied Truth, and Coleman recorded her description of the experience in her book, Reminiscences, published in 1892. Coleman's narrative is summarized in Nell Irvin Painter's book, Sojourner Truth, A Life, A Symbol. And Painter states, in Coleman's narrative, she and Truth waited three and a half hours as Lincoln joked with male visitors. During that time, a Black woman supplicant joined them, and Coleman brought her along into Lincoln's office. Lincoln found himself in the presence of three women, two Black and one white. 
Coleman recalled that Lincoln's demeanor changed when he turned from his white male visitors to Truth, whom Coleman introduced as my friend, Sojourner Truth, a woman widely known not only in our country, but abroad. Having been relaxed and funny, Lincoln became tense and sour. He called Truth auntie, as he would his washerwoman, and he rejected the honor that Truth bestowed upon him as the first anti-slavery president. In light of Lincoln's peak, Coleman ushered Truth out. Being loved as the great emancipator irritated Lincoln, Coleman realized. He believed in the white race, not in the colored, and did not want them put on an equality. Now, I can imagine Truth left that meeting with a man she had always thought a hero, feeling very disappointed. But regardless of her impression of Lincoln, Truth kept striving for change. She spent seven years trying to secure land grants from the federal government for former enslaved people. She garnered numerous signatures for her petition, urging the federal government to provide land for this endeavor. And although she was invited to the White House again and presented the petition to President Ulysses S. Grant, Congress would not move on the issue. In 1872, she returned to Battle Creek and became active in Grant's presidential re-election campaign. She even tried to vote on Election Day, but was, of course, turned away at the polling place. In her later years of life, Truth was cared for by two of her daughters. She passed away on November 26, 1883, at her Battle Creek home. Some of the most prominent citizens of Battle Creek acted as pallbearers at her funeral, and nearly 1,000 people attended the service. Prior to her death, she's quoted as saying, I am not going to die. I'm going home like a shooting star. Her chosen name, Sojourner, means a person who resides temporarily in a place. I think Sojourner Truth understood that her life even with its pain, suffering, and hardship, was just one temporary stop on her journey. And her spirit was larger than life, capable of influencing the course of history and would be everlasting. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope the stories that I share put a big, bright spotlight on the potential that lives in all of us. Check out the show notes for the sources that I use to make each episode. And if you like the podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, I'd be so honored to tell your stories on the show. I'm talking about stories of everyday heroism, courage, and hope. Like, did your great-grandparents write each other for months during the war and it kept their love alive? Did your mom or dad save you from calamity when you were a kid? Did a small act of kindness, like stopping for a stranded motorist, lead to something much greater? Did your pet save your life? These are the stories I would love to share. Email me at citizenhopepodcast at gmail.com for a chance to have your story featured on the show. Now I want you to go forth and kick ass because you are amazing. Mm-hmm.